You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello, everyone. My name is Susie Squire. I'm president of the Retail and Hospitality ISAC. And I'm Brian Hunley, vice president of Intelligence Operations, and this is the RH ISAC podcast. Hey, Brian, you're no stranger to the podcast. You were featured on our last episode, weren't you? Yes. Me, Diane Brown of Ulta Beauty, and Courtney Radke of Fortinet had a great discussion about the CISO benchmark report. There were some great insights into what CISOs are prioritizing this year. If our listeners haven't heard that podcast yet, they should definitely check it out. Yeah, I listened to that podcast too. It was actually the first podcast I'd ever listened to, and I loved it. But you're not going to be the star of this one this time, are you? Uh, Who are you going to be chatting with today? Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Ashley Alaka of Flashpoint, who is going to share with us some of the retail threat trends they observed during the 2021 holiday season. That sounds great. Looking forward to it. But first, I'm going to be talking with a cybersecurity rock star and an absolute role model for women in this industry. Lynn Bohm, Executive Director of Women in Cybersecurity, or WESIS. Since March is Women's History Month, we're going to be celebrating women in our industry over the next two episodes. Perfect. Well, that sounds like my cue to turn things over to you and Lynn to get this show started. As another cybersecurity-focused organization, WESIS and the RHISAC share many of the same goals and even some of the same members. Before this interview, we spoke with Noreen Jaroje, Director of Global Cyber Threat Intel at Nike who happens to be both an active RHISAC member and board member of WESIS. She described WESIS as a community of women who encourage, support, empower, and uplift one another. She says, I'm a proud WESIS board member as I truly believe we rise by lifting others. And that's what WESIS is all about. That sounds a lot like our mission here at the RHISAC of being a rising tide to lift all boats. So I can't wait to hear more from Lynn about this amazing organization. Lynn, do you want to kick things off here by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about WESIS? Sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me on today's podcast. It's such a pleasure being here with you and RHISAC. So my name is Lynn Dome. I'm Women in Cybersecurity Executive Director. We often go by our acronym, WESIS, W-I-C-Y-S, and we do pronounce it WESIS, like we sisters, because that's exactly what we are. We are a cyber sisterhood. And I do love that Noreen shared ever so eloquently about together we do rise because we often say in the WESIS organization, together we thrive. We are a community of men, women, allies, and advocates that all have a strong mission and passion to recruit, retain, and advance women in cybersecurity because we care about the cybersecurity workforce. We do know that we're at a critical workforce shortage and that collectively we can make opportunities happen for women to not only get more awareness about cybersecurity, and enter into the workforce, but retained throughout their career and have those achievements and opportunities for advancements along the way. So what we do is we're a member-based 501c3 nonprofit. We have over 5,400 members 
with representation in over 70 countries. We also have 43 professional affiliates, which are mini WESIS organizations. And they're in Africa, Australia, Canada, France, India, Pakistan, the UK, and all throughout the United States. And we also have over 150 student chapters. Collectively, we're all working towards that recruitment, retention, and advancement of women by providing opportunities such as mentor-mentee programs, apprenticeship programs, internship programs, various training programs. We have a job board plus we issue out scholarships, grants, and awards not only for our conference but for other conferences as well. So there's lots of wonderful ways that we're engaging and collecting and gathering this community and doing good things for the sake of good and doing it all together. That's fantastic. I know your organization has grown tremendously in the last few years. You actually started just as a conference and then developed into a nonprofit. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that happened? 2014, our WESIS founder, Dr. Amberine Siraj from Tennessee Tech University, she reached out to NSF and received some seed funding for the first ever Women in Cybersecurity Conference. NSF awarded her $70,000 with anticipation of that being enough for her to engage 250 women in cyber. But Dr. Siraj, being the trailblazing woman that she is, she took that money and was able to engage 900 women in cybersecurity because of it. Then through a lot of hard work, she continued to network and connect with a lot of great companies that supported the mission and the passion and continued to fund the conference each and every year because of it. It was a proof of concept. Our conference you know, reached full capacity each and every year in less than a day of opening up registration. So after a few years of doing that, we realized, okay, women in cybersecurity really do collectively thrive in this space and we need year-round engagement and year-round opportunities to keep the momentum going strong. If we're going to solve the problems in building up the pipeline and building up the cybersecurity workforce, we have to embrace further engagement. So that's why we became a nonprofit. Kudos to you guys on that growth. That is commendable. We really appreciate how you're engaging women in cyber. Part of your mission from the beginning with this conference has been equal representation and participation of students. Can you tell us more about that? Sure, sure. So we not only are the flagship conference for women in cybersecurity, and we remain a significantly large women in cybersecurity conference, but regardless of gender, we are the only cybersecurity conference that has that equal representation of students and professionals. And that's a model that we preserve the integrity of and work very hard to always make sure that it's just baked into everything that we do. So how we do it for the conference is that students can't just register to attend the conference. They have to go through the scholarship application process. Then when registration opens up, for every single regular registrant we receive, we make sure that we're issuing a female cybersecurity student scholarship because of that. The life cycle and really building, retaining, advancing women in cybersecurity is always in movement here. Because as women professionals come into the WESIS Technical Conference, to learn and be a part of that professional development experience, we're bringing in that next generation to move right along with us. So it's a full life cycle there. So that's a little bit about 
the uniqueness of our conference. And I love sharing that story because so many women share with me that when they come back to WESIS, like we have a, a faculty that comes to WESIS every year, her students come on student scholarships. They get recruited from the conference. They go off and expand in their career. And then all of a sudden, years later, as that faculty member is coming back to the WESIS conference, her students that came originally from a student scholarship, a WESIS scholarship, are coming back and they're recruiting from the pipeline at the WESIS organization. So for her, she's like, it's a family reunion every year because she sees and she continues to grow her community and continues to see them engage each and every year at the conference. So that's a little bit about that equal representation of the conference. We love it and we're happy that it really resonated with you and that you thought it was special to bring up during today's podcast as well. Yeah, sure. No, that really is special. And I know that you had talked a little bit that as they go through it, I think they they submit and they go through like an aptitude assessment, correct? Yes. So some of our training programs have this aptitude assessment that we have built into the program. So we have two different programs right now. We have our mentor-mentee program that we piloted the program in 2020. We had over 800 enroll in the program. It was great. We developed and designed a curriculum to upskill and up-level women, no matter where they're at in their career, preparing them for their next level of advancement. So it was fabulous. 2021, we're like, all right, that was great. That was a 12-month program. So 2021, we were able to scale it. We were able to sustain it and grow it. We use a software program now. We fine-tuned it, streamlined it, made it better. But in month four, we realized that what would be really beneficial is doing this cyber gen IQ aptitude assessment. And so we were able to do that. Um, we're really happy to offer that to all our mentees right now. We have over 800 mentees in the program and we're able to offer that. And that's a way for women in the program to fine tune what area really resonates and comes out from the aptitude assessment. And then we schedule webinars on, okay, you did your aptitude assessment. What does that look like? And where can you take that information and continue to navigate and zero in on your career further from it? And how do you speak to the aptitude assessment in your interviews? And how do you add it to your LinkedIn profile, you know, to really showcase your talent talented areas. So that's a lot of fun. We did that. And then we just recently launched an internship program that we also did the aptitude assessment to. And if you wanted me to share a little bit about the internship program, how it came into existence, I'd be happy to share that too. But, um, you know, we have lots of good stuff there. Yeah, I think uh, I think we probably have a little time to hear a little bit about the internship program. Yeah. So we have all these student chapter presidents. We have over 150 student chapter presidents. I meet with them monthly along with the student chapter leads. And during one of our meetings about six months ago, one of the presidents mentioned that it gets really frustrating. Sometimes there's this application burnout of going from one internship portal to another internship portal and filling out you know, similar applications. And sometimes you hear back from the employer. Sometimes you don't. You feel like sometimes you put all your heart and soul in these applications and doing all this work. And it kind of goes into this big hole and not really receiving any feedback. And so I listened to that at one of those meetings. I was like, well, that's not a really rewarding experience. And, you know, I've, it's been years, decades since I had my internship and things have drastically changed since then. So always listening is a big part of building our programs. And so I took that information to our tier one strategic partners that are part of our mission support team. And I shared that information. I said, this is what I'm hearing from student chapter presidents. What is your side of the story? And they're like, you know, we feel that. We see that there's not this direct pipeline from our student members to our 
you know, big supporting employer partners and how could we build the program? And so we did. We had some employer partners step up to help pilot the program. And we created one application based on all their job recs combined. Then we layered on top of it the Cyber Gen IQ Aptitude Assessment. All our student members have, you know, applied to this type of program, the internship program. And then our employer partners are going to receive a short list of WESIS members that really resonate with their criteria and have the aptitude from the assessment. And then they could go through their internship program from there moving forward. So we did build out this direct pipeline. We streamlined it. We simplified the process. But at the end of the day, what we love about this program is that Okay, the the end goal is that our WESIS members get the internship opportunities with the employer partners. That's the end goal. But we also know that there's more student members within WESIS than there are internships that we have in the portal. So there's going to be some that aren't getting their internships there, but they're walking away with something. And that something is the CyberGen IQ assessment. And so they're leaving with us still filling them up giving them something and helping them move forward and keep their momentum going strong and their passion and commitment to their careers. Yeah. So it's like all good things of weakness. <laughs> That's great. That is awesome. Uh, I want to make sure we get in a great story that you shared with me about sitting next to a CISO at a conference who had 35% female staff in his cybersecurity department. Can you share that with us and tell us a little bit about how he did that? Yes, sure. It is one of my favorite stories. And I was at a, an event last October and I was sitting at the lunch and I did a presentation in the morning. And so I was sitting at the luncheon and a gentleman sat down next to me. We we're just having a candid conversation. And he's a CISO of a big employer in in Ohio. And he mentioned he's like, you know, I'm really proud that I have 30% women on my cybersecurity team. I was like, wow, that's really great. You know, that's higher than the industry average. The industry average is 20 to 24%. And still that's kind of debatable. This is amazing that you're doing. He's like, I'm going to keep going strong till it's 50, 50. I'm like, kudos to you. What are you doing? That's, you know, what can you share with me that you're doing? And he just looked me straight in the eye. He goes, I'm paying attention. And I thought, wow, it's as simple as that. And I was like, so what areas are you paying attention to? He's like, I'm making sure that we're engaging with the right organizations where our recruiters have ample time to receive information on their resumes and that we know what we're getting with that. He also said that he made sure that he started putting his resumes through gender neutral tools. And he really looked at it from a very unique perspective of ensuring that he was paying mindful attention to that. He also rewrote his job descriptions and brought up soft skills that are necessary for women and men in cybersecurity. Those that he had like as a wish list, you know, it would be nice to have certain skill sets. Were they really requirements? Because previously it would be like, he would put very high up there these wish list items. But could those employees potentially learn those technical skill sets on the job? Likely, yes, in a very short amount of time. And if they have that human skill set, like the, the very strong soft skills of problem solving and brainstorming and being a part of the team and all that, that those technical skills could come into alignment from there. So he just modified his approach and was able to successfully get the candidates and build up his team because the more diverse of a cyber team 
the more effective a team. That diversity we thought is so critical to solve the problems that never previously existed. You need genders, identities, ethnicities, races, cultures, backgrounds, experiences, and more, and you need it all. The adversaries are certainly going after that. And so your cybersecurity teams need to have the most diversity of thought. And so he, he just paid attention. And that's the best part of it. I, that's Sometimes that's all you really need to do, right, is pay attention to what people are saying right in front of you. That's an awesome story. I'm glad we got that in to share, Lynn. Listen, as we wrap up this portion, this great first podcast that we've done, and we really appreciate you being our guest on it. Can you tell us what our listeners can do if they're interested in getting involved with WESIS, whether that's on an individual basis or maybe even as a company? Yes, thank you for asking that. So our organization is WICYS.org, W-I-C-Y-S.org. And just go and navigate and subscribe to the newsletter. You could join as a member. We have all sorts of different member options available. And if you're a company and you're interested in engaging in a higher level and really supporting the inclusion and diversity efforts and driving the change that's needed in the workforce, then you could reach out to us through info at wesis.org. You can also navigate through the website. There's different support structures that are available on the website as well. But we'd love to engage all involved and it takes a community and we know we're not doing this alone. Everyone's involved in making a difference in the workforce. Well, great. Thank you so much for being our guest, Lynn. It's been wonderful listening to you and learning more about WESIS. And I hope a lot of our members use this as an opportunity to you know, increase their pipeline, but also help to in- retain uh, the employees that they do have as, as options. And we really appreciate Noreen's words of advice. Lynn, I'm going to thank you again and wish you the best. Thank you so much for having me here today. We're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsor, Fortinet. Stick around after that because Brian is going to dive into some of the common holiday season retail fraud trends with Ashley from Flashpoint. Today's show is brought to you by Fortinet. Fortinet provides retailers with top-rated cybersecurity solutions covering the expanding attack surface. Advantages include centralized visibility and management, lower TCO, and top performance. Proven threat protection and seamless fabric integration delivers better, faster response to attacks across the entire network, including point-of-sale systems and other devices carrying sensitive information. And Fortinet helps simplify compliance with PCI DSS and other regulations. As digital innovation and the need to provide always-on customer experiences drive network transformation, retail cybersecurity has become more vital. It's essential to have a security partner that can provide simplified security and networking to keep customers' data safe and enable a superior consumer experience. For more information, contact the Fortinet team at retail at fortinet.com. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with Ashley Alaka from Flashpoint. Flashpoint is one of our associate members, and we work with them on our recent Community Landscape Enterprise Analysis Report. This is a quarterly report that provides an overview of recent trends we are seeing in the retail environment. Ashley provided some fantastic research on fraud trends from the 2021 holiday shopping season, which is what we're going to dive into here today. Ashley, welcome to the RHISAC podcast. It's great having you here today. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us about your role at Flashpoint? Sure. Well, first of all, Brian, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. My name is Ashley Alaka, and I'm a cyber threat intelligence analyst at Flashpoint. My research primarily focuses on cyber threats 
in the retail, financial, and healthcare industries. I do do a lot of other research on emerging threats within deep and dark web illicit communities. Refund fraud is always common during the holidays. Did we see any changes in the methods used or the success of the attacks? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's been really interesting to to track throughout our research the past year and a half, two years. So refund fraud is a pretty popular threat set within our data sets year round. So we're consistently tracking and reporting on it. This year, a lot like the holiday shopping season of 2020, threat actors really took advantage of the changing threat landscape. So obviously there was a big push to online shopping and e-commerce, but some new tactics that we saw included curbside methods, which primarily targeted the curbside pickup services of larger retailers. This methodology So usually the specific methods are not freely shared and generally exist behind a paywall costing 10, 20, 30, however many dollars the threat actor feels like charging that day. But it is likely that these are not very technical attacks and may include some sort of account takeover activity. In terms of a success rate, that's a little bit harder to gauge. But with other reporting, we can kind of get a better look at what that success rate might actually look like. So the National Retail Federation actually puts out a consumer return report for the retail industry every year. And in 2020, they found that of the $428 billion in merchandise that was returned to retailers, about 5.9%, so about $25 billion was considered fraudulent and like what makes a return fraudulent based on our research and in our data sets we see fraudulent refunds happen through the shipping service so saying my package didn't arrive and usually when something goes out it's now on the shipper to make sure that it gets to where it's supposed to go you see threat actors exploiting the payment process or you see them exploiting directly uh, the retailer through their customer service agents so with that in mind In 2021, the NRF found that of the $761 billion returned in merchandise this year, a little bit over 10%, about $78 billion, was flagged as fraudulent. So there's obviously been an increase. More is getting returned and more is getting flagged as fraudulent. So that could indicate some sort of success. So it's interesting to keep that in mind, you know, as we do our research, which has more to do with these threat actor discussions and what's being advertised and trends in their methods. So it's interesting to keep all of that in mind. Do you think success rates were a result of circumstances retailers faced during the 2021 holiday season, such as global supply chain shortages or the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, So it definitely played a role I think so in this past holiday season and our research certainly supports that. So the initial attack vector of a lot of these targeted attacks on the retail sector incorporate some sort of social engineering or the exploitation of the human element, which is generally the weakest link in these threat landscapes. So with these retail organizations and other entities along the supply chain being so overworked, it is just, they're easier to exploit. And these threat actors know that. We also see refund services being offered as a service. So what you're having is these specialized threat actors and refunders who are literally doing this for a living, providing their services, who have a history of exploiting certain retailers or certain industries within the retail sector, offering their services for a cut of the overall refund by their customer. So 
additionally, that could be contributing to the overall success rate that we're seeing. You know, and one trend Flashpoint mentioned in the report uh, that followed the holiday season was targeting of content management systems. Can you tell us more about what was involved there? Sure. So content management systems, this is a really interesting point of our research. It is very popular. It is consistently very popular throughout the year. Primarily, threat actors are exploiting known vulnerabilities when they're going after content management systems. And why content management systems tend to be popular within threat actor communities and and financial fraud-related communities mostly is because the threat actor could get access to payment information or possibly be able to redirect payment pages to their own personal wallets. So it's an interesting confluence of retail and financial fraud. And it the barrier to entry to this type of fraud is usually pretty low. Sometimes you see more technically advanced attacks, but usually it's threat actors exploiting known vulnerabilities in these systems. That's interesting. Are there any, you know, you, you talked about, you know, some of the new tactics that they're using, like the curbside pickup, but are there any other new tactics, techniques, or procedures uh, retailers need to start keeping an eye on? So I think it's important for retailers to sort of keep a pulse on the more advanced uh, and possibly more technical attacks. But And so I guess think like ransomware, maybe attacks on like cloud service providers. Those, I would say, are almost just as important to keep tabs on as these tried and true methods of targeting known vulnerabilities, you, you know, using phishing attacks, phishing emails, phishing campaigns, social engineering methods. So I would say, yes, we will certainly see more trends like these curbside method, you know, as retailers adjust to heighten the customer experience, but it's just as important to make sure that you're covering your bases of, you know, these attacks factors that we talk about all the time, whether it's, like I said, phishing or social engineering or exploitation of known vulnerabilities. It's, I would say the threat is just as important to consider. You know, as, as the threats grow and expand, right, do you have any advice for how retailers can mitigate these threats, you know, just in general, because the threats are always out there throughout the year, right, or as they prepare for the 2022 holiday season? Totally. So, These are recommendations I feel like they're made a lot, but they are really helpful and it's really important that they are implemented into a network environment or into just your general threat landscape environment. So multi-factor authentication and having some sort of password hygiene is really important in these instances where I was talking about account takeover. So password hygiene is, you know, having strong passwords, enforcing regular password changes. Retailers can also think about implementing some sort of card fraud detection and card not present fraud detection mitigation system. To that end, there's like a variety of authentication tools that can be used to ensure that the buyer is a legitimate cardholder and that could help squash some sort of fraudulent purchases being made. Implementing a least privilege policy, we've also seen really help. This is especially helpful with cloud resources, just so there's less eyes on sensitive data, maybe less access points to this sensitive data. In terms of mitigation techniques, specifically for holiday shopping seasons, we've seen retailers cut off their return dates. So just shrink that window entirely of when um, an item or goods can be 
returned. And last but certainly not least, employee and possibly customer training for security best practices to help identify and potentially stop social engineering or phishing attacks will certainly go a long way. We always recommend that. Oh, well, and phishing, 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 right? It always comes back to phishing. <laughs> totally. That was That is across the board one of the most popular hacking services methods we see advertised within our data sets all the time. So it does always come back to phishing. Well, Ashley, I really appreciate you sitting down with us and talking with us today. It was a pleasure talking to you, and thank you for joining the RHI SAC podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the RHISAC podcast. And be on the lookout later this month for another Women in Cybersecurity interview, where we'll be featuring CISOs from the International Flavors and Fragrances Organization and CVS Health. That'll be later on, and look forward to it. It'll be a great conversation to two strong, great women in the industry. 